When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into Poke the Bear episode 116. That is Connor Ryan. I'm Evan Maradowski. Connor, how you doing? Evan, I'm doing well. How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. We are less than a week away now from regular season action. Bruins caps. Only one preseason game left, and then it's on to the real thing. But we saw on Wednesday night, like, even though it was, you know, it was a preseason game, Bruins Rangers still pretty good. Like, not a bad game. You know, some exciting stuff for a preseason game. So uh, it hasn't all been boring in the preseason, except for that Devils game, which was just that was uh, if you missed a game, I hope it was that one because that was quite a snooze fest. Um, But anyways, uh, Thursday, which this day we're recording is the big uh, cuts day. It's the big when, you know, the, the, the guys are moving from Boston to Providence and Bruins made some news. Uh, on Thursday by uh, they sent down some notable ones, Johnny Beecher, Fabian Lysel, which again, don't panic. It's okay. It's okay. Take some time to develop. Uh, but the one that I think I had a lot of people scratching their heads was Mark McLaughlin sent down to Providence, which kind of came out of nowhere. It felt like, I mean, just given that he'd been playing so well in the preseason, looked like he had a spot on that fourth line. Now he's headed to Providence. What's your take of this? Yeah, uh, definitely surprising. I think when you just look at the level of production he put forth during the preseason. Now, if you if you told me once camp started that McLaughlin was going to be a guy that's going to be the outside looking in, I would have believed it, right? You look at yeah. a guy who flashed last year, but he's you, he doesn't have to go through waivers. He's going to Providence. Okay, guys like Steen or what have you are going to have the first look. But then by the time you go through you know three or four preseason games, see how McLaughlin played. Uh, I thought the writing was kind of on the wall once they sent steam through waivers down to Providence. Like, all right, McLaughlin has a spot locked up because again, at, you look at just the number of guys that have been vying for those fourth line minutes. I think McLaughlin has been the most uh, consistent guy among that group in terms of not just the, the tangible production of, you know, four goal or four points in four games. His details have been good. Battles along the boards have been good. Uh, you just look at everything that was working in his favor Plus, you give add the fact that the Bruins have said time and time again since Cassidy's firing that this is a time to add more youth to the lineup. Seems like this would be the perfect situation, right? A guy that does well in camp, uh, you know, leapfrogs a couple of other guys on the depth chart and settles into a 
wouldn't say low risk, but it's not like he's falling into a top six spot. Like he eases into the lineup. It's not like so. Right. Yeah, he eases into the lineup on the fourth line and builds his game up from there. Seems to be a, a good way to, you know, a good tip of the cap for a young player that proved his worth in the preseason. But here we are where you're looking at, again, there's a few days before we find out what the actual starting lineup will be on October 12th. But look at guys like Felino up in the top line, no sick. It, it's just tough. Like I, I understand like the the waivers and how that impacts it, but when you look at just the Bruins and their willingness to add younger players to the mix and reward them, this one seemed to kind of a layup. So I don't think I think McGoffin will probably be playing quite a few games up with Boston this year, but still to not kind of get that kind of get that you know that carrot dangled in front of him and have it get ripped away, it's just a tough hit for a guy that really proved I think a lot of people wrong so far during camp. I just think it sends a weird message, as you said, where like they wanted this to, as you said, to be more open to younger players. And you have McLaughlin, who's been terrific, fits the spot, would be a great addition to that fourth line. And he's going to be playing the beginning of the season in Providence. Now, it wouldn't surprise me, by the way, if Felino doesn't work out or for some reason, Nosek doesn't work out and suddenly McLaughlin's back up. I, I don't like or an injury or something like that. Like, I think that absolutely is going to happen. But um, I wonder if Bruce Cassidy's looking at this from Vegas, like, Wait, I thought they wanted more. I want. I thought they wanted to play the younger kids. And, and, well, this fourth line of Felino, Nosek, and 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 by the way, Felino was playing on Thursday with uh, Bergeron and Debrusque. Bergeron and Debrusque. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of youth movement going on here. I mean, maybe they meant like Trent Frederick, but I just I I don't I don't understand because that seemed like an easy one, and I think it also goes back to having these older veterans on the team like Nosek and Felino who make more money would have to go through waivers and kind of giving them the, the first shot at this, which. Again, I just, I don't love, you know, and again, like maybe there is something with Felino. We've talked about this, like maybe him being fully healthy with a new coach might do it, but I don't know if the signs really fully point that way. I think McLaughlin looked like a really good fit uh, for that fourth line. So the only really young player that's has made it right now, at least it seems to have a spot is Sadika. That, that's the only like really young player. Cause again, Frederick played all of last season with the team. And I I don't really consider that to be a younger guy. I mean, he is a younger guy, but I don't put him in that same basket, but Sonique is really the only guy. Um, And I, I just off the top of my head, he wasn't in the four lines at practice. He was 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 part of the actually him and Wagner were part of a kind of an extra grouping with Taylor Hall, who was in a non-contact sweater. So at this point you're like, all right. And I I understand like Thomas knows like has value. That's probably underrated in terms of, you know, being good on the draws and a good penalty killer, but, you just look at the way those guys both perform this year, and it kind of goes back to what have we said for the last couple of weeks in terms of Montgomery and what he's looking at for that fourth line with guys like Greer and McLaughlin and Sanika and generating a lot of energy. Like, it was kind of right there, right? And all of a sudden now we're going to a spot where it's guys like Frederick on the fourth line, who, again, has more of a stealing or, or more to give, but between that and no stick, uh, Jakob Lauko, who made the cut, which I kind of find surprising because I don't believe he's – uh, needs to be, you know, go through waivers, even though he's a bit of an older player. So the fact that he made it over a guy like McLaughlin is kind of surprising in that regard. It's kind of like you're just back to the same old, not the same set unit on that fourth line, but you look at like the the potential and the ceiling of what you got from Greer, Stadnika, and McLaughlin compared to where it is right now. Again, just one practice on Thursday. It could be completely jumbled around again on Friday, but you kind of just look at where that promise was just a few days ago. It's like, all right, I understand you're still kind of mixing and matching, but in terms of, you know, reaching that higher ceiling, I think a lot of Bruins fans probably feel a lot better, or at least are a lot more intrigued 
by what you get from those, you know, aforementioned guys that have a little bit more to give, I think offensively, especially. Again, I think a fourth line of, you know, as we said, like a, a Greer or even a Frederick plus McLaughlin on the right and, and, you know, Stanika down the middle or even Beecher. I know it's not a bad thing for him to go to Providence, but even a guy like Beecher, like I just think it would have been more intriguing. And I think the ceiling is so much higher. As you said, like Nosek provides value, but you know what you're getting. You know, you know that that's, that's exactly what you're getting. And again, it's just kind of money not well spent when you look back at that offseason two years ago now where it's like, hmm, now would be a pretty good time to kind of use those younger guys on that fourth line. And you're just not getting it. Uh, you're not getting it at all. Lauko is an interesting one, too, by the way, because um, I feel like I haven't heard his name much at all throughout training camp. And I guess he's quietly impressed. It also goes back to remember those comments we made when the Bruins first hired Montgomery, uh, the comments he made it in Dallas about how he formats each line where everyone kind of serves a purpose. Maybe it's that like, maybe it's like, Hey, we need a speedy, you know, guy to go on the right side. Who's a left shot. Like maybe we need yeah. him on the fourth line. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting case. Cause I just, I don't know if that's something that I know there was, you know, with Lauko a few years ago, people were kind of saying, Hey, maybe he could be a potential like top six winger down the road. feels like that's not, has, that's not has that hasn't been what's happened um but interesting case i just can't believe the mclaughlin stuff i yeah, thought he I, was almost a lock at this point yeah I, I would just say the one thing to end and the this discourse with is the fact that one thing i think we've drilled home quite a bit already is that this fourth line how it's going to start i'm going to put down a hefty amount of money it's going to look <laughs> drastically different by the time we get to you know march and april would you say that's a safe bet connor evan i think i would say it's a safe bet safe bet but when we're talking really safe bets, we talk about our good friends over at Bet Online. Right, you are, Evan. Listen up, guys. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Both basketball and hockey might still be a week or so away from regular season action, but over at Bet Online, you can still find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, the latest fighting news, and yes, NFL football is finally back. Shout out Bailey Zappi. Yes. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. It's super easy to get started. So head to the website today or use your mobile, devo- mobile device to join and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's promo code CLNS50. Bet Online with the game starts. Stats. Where are the game stats? I actually have one more thing to add to the conversation we were just having, and it's about Stadnik. And I texted you this on Thursday. It's a little bit of a hot take. A little bit of a hot take. I must admit, I was actually uh, at the bar. I was at the barber shop waiting at my haircut, and I I was like just thinking through different things in my head. Would be good line combinations because everyone's coming out with their line projections, and I'm like, you know what? I think I need to come out with mine. You know, I need I need to fit in. And it's fair. And and it's a little bit hot. It's a little bit of a hot take. But I'll be honest, I think for with DeBrusque and Bergeron, I think most people really would not want to see Felino there. I think that's like a pretty common thing among people. I understand why they're doing it, but I don't mm-hmm. think it's the right move, uh, short or long term. Sadnika. What about Sadnika? You know, give him a shot. I know. I, I think he'd rather be down the middle. I think he's better down the middle. But he's played well enough in the preseason. Give him a shot. New coach. Like, I think he's earned the, the ability to fill in on that line. Uh, and then, you know, potentially go down to the fourth line as the center or something like that, but give, give him a shot. Like I just, I, I to start the season, as, as you said, the fourth line is not going to be the same, you know, throughout the season, most likely. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't expect Sidney to stay up there, but I just like to see it with Bergeron, you know, Bergeron and DeBrus with a new coach. 
I'd like that better than like putting Craig Smith up there or Nick Felino or people like, that. I don't know. I just, I, I, and, and keeping the, the checks mix line together. So again, it won't happen most likely unless something happens, but uh, I don't, I, I, uh, I'm disappointed that they didn't go that route. Cause again, I think we both haven't been super high on Stanika, but I think we both liked what we saw out of him in the preseason and just given the injuries, I wouldn't hate him on the right side there. So yeah. I don't know. yeah. Interesting case. I, yeah. Either that, or even like, again, I, I know you said you don't really like Smith, but I think that one, again, if you're looking at it, oh, it makes the most sense. It, yeah, in terms of overall, overall potential, at least ceiling, I'll take that over, you know, DeBrusque, Bergeron, Smith over, as you said, Felino, uh, Bergeron, DeBrusque in terms of just higher offensive ceiling. And again, that seems to be someone who fits more into their plans this year with Smith as opposed to someone like Felino. And if it gets, a guy like Smith rolling, he's already, we've already known during his uh, two years here that he's a bit of a, a streaky scorer. So if you get him rolling early on and he eventually goes back down to his usual spot with Coyle and he's a bit more consistent and bringing you a little bit more secondary scoring, it seems to be a move that should benefit all parties at least to open up the year. And this segue is great into our fun segment, two questions that determine Bruins success this year. We said that we would uh, do a kind of a soft preview of the season on poke the bear uh, today. And this is how we're doing it along with X factors. And, you know, is this team actually uh, a cup contender, but we'll start with two questions, each of us. So four questions in total. Uh, and I will let you go first. What is your uh, first question uh, that determines Bruins success this season? Yeah, I think it all come down to, at least in terms of setting the tone, it's just how this team can stay afloat in October and November. I mean, you look at, I think they've got, they've got good news in terms of, both. I don't think Taylor Hall is going to miss an extended amount of time, even though I also wouldn't necessarily rush him back. But it doesn't seem like it's going to be a, a weeks-long absence like they they feared it might have been. And then Matt Grizzlick's a guy that Jim Montgomery already said could be back in a full-contact sweater pretty soon. Which I don't think he's going to be good to go for the start of the season, but if it's now the third week of October, the end of October, that's still a week or so ahead of schedule for him as well. And he's a guy that in Montgomery's system, you have to imagine could make quite the impact in terms of just buying into that system and having more active uh, offensive contributors on the blue line. But still, uh, it's it's tough to account for the loss of a guy like uh, Charlie McAvoy and Brad Martian and what they bring to this team. So it will be tough sledding in the early going. Not only you don't have guys that can replace those kind of franchise stars in the lineup, but also the fact that you're also going to be juggling through that lineup. As we said, we don't really know what exactly that bottom six is going to look like. Is Felino going to be on the top line? Is it Smith? You know, what have you, they're going to be a lot of mixing and matching to start the year. So again, people look at that Thanksgiving kind of threshold as the barometer. If you're going to make the playoffs or not, I would say don't panic if the Bruins are 11, nine and four or something around that time. Like I think, as long as they don't completely like bottom out during that stretch, they should be fine. Cause this is, I think a team that's looking at the big picture, getting healthy and going on a second half run, especially, but in terms of just setting the tone, you still don't want to be all of a sudden looking at the standings and seeing these other teams ahead of you by, you know, six, seven games or what have you, or by a size amount of points, you just don't want to get off to a rough start. And I think for the Bruins, it's going to be a lot of treading water and, and mixing and matching the lineup to start the year. And I think is uh, for Bruins fans, I think if you, if your team is m- better than 11, nine and four and is, you know, cruising and it's November 26th and Marshan's coming back and McAvoy is, you know, on his way back and like you're in the second or third spot in the Atlantic, 
you have a real shot at the Stanley Cup. Like it's no joke like that. And by the way, I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen, obviously. Uh, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, but like, I feel like we're setting the bar lo- like kind of low almost for them treading water. Whereas like they could potentially easily top it if everything goes right. But yeah. my question comes down to, or one of my questions is what does Brad Marchand look like when he comes back? Now, again, I expect him to be good. I expect him to be impactful. Is he at an MVP caliber level? I don't quite know. Cause again, he probably won't have, he doesn't have really a training camp. You know, he'll have on ice sessions and he'll be out there for practice and non-contact jerseys and things, but he's a 34 year old coming off hip surgery. And if you think about that again, like still going to be really good, most likely, but again, you do have to kind of consider the circumstances here. Um, and again, most likely he comes back with Bergeron and they pick right up where they left off. And, you know, on the right side there, you'll have DeBrusque or whoever it is at that time. Most likely, hopefully if all goes well, DeBrusque. Um, but it's something to think about, something to watch because again, 34 years old, hip surgery, never an easy thing. Um, and I think he is such a key cog in this offense and there's so much reliant on him at all times, even though you have guys like Taylor Hall and Bergeron and Pasternak, like I just think penalty killing uh, power play minutes, just goals and assists in general. Like I think so much just falls on him and he's such a part of that core that I think if he came back and he wasn't the same, that's an issue. That's worrisome. Um, So he is someone I absolutely, um, that's one of my biggest questions. And I feel like we haven't talked about him much solely because he's just not, in the fold right now. Uh, but he's been out at practice. So you, I mean, right. Like he hasn't been, like yeah, he's, he's, he's been skating. skating. He's not been not part practice, of skating. Like full, yeah, skating. Part of yeah. full group yet or anything like that, but he's been out there pretty consistently. So he's back on the ice and getting back up to speed. But even he discussed that with us at the, uh, the golf tournament a few weeks ago that for him, he said, it almost feels like he's learning how to skate all over again, which it's not great. <laughs> Makes sense considering like the amount of work that, you know, had to get done. I mean, it's a double hip surgery as well. So, uh, yeah, I agree that I think it'd be unrealistic to expect him to be a guy that goes right back in there and is playing at a, a 90 point pace or something like that, you know, right away. But still, that being said, like the Bruins at least have added depth that even a, a Martian at 80 percent of what they expect can still be a, a very good top six winger. But they will obviously would rather him be the, the same player he was. I just don't know if it's important to maybe temper expectations or just expect it to be a slight dip. And you factor in, you know, the the severity of the offseason surgery plus his age, you know, sooner or later, you have to put two and two together. And we always talk about Martian's a guy that's usually defied those expectations in terms of surgeries or, or playing through pain. But again, father time's usually undefeated. And when you add this surgery on top of it, it's only natural, I think, to at least set expectations for there to be a slight dip in terms of what you're expecting from him this year. Yeah. And again, he's not the only guy on offense, as I said. So I don't, I think if there is a dip, I don't think this team's cup chances are ruined, but it doesn't help. It doesn't help. Um, What is your second question? Yeah. I I think one, uh, you know, lineup uh, situation that needs to be kind of sorted out. And I don't think they're going to get a a clear answer early on, but I think when you look at when guys are healthy, even with Martians, let's say he's at 80%. Put him with Bergeron, who's still playing at a high level, and DeBrusque, who played at a, you know, 35 goal pace last year. They should be fine. They they'll, they'll still be a damn good line. I think you look at uh, Hall, Krejci, Pasternak. I think Bruins fans uh, saw firsthand what that line can do. Uh, you know, even Sands, Taylor Hall, with wh- how they performed against the Rangers. I think that line's going to rip up a lot of very good defenses, especially <laughs> you know as the year goes yes. on. 
I don't think once the guys are healthy, you have to really worry that much about that top six. That third line, though, that's one that you need to, one, find out where the pieces fit, who are the best options there, and uh, if they can get just consistent production. Again, I don't think you need Charlie Coyle, uh, Zaka, Craig Smith, Lysel, if he fits in the equation, McLaughlin, whoever it ends up being. I don't think you need all of them to have career years where they each have, you know, 60 plus points or what have you. But um, if they can be uh, a grouping that gives you just, you know, consistent production or at least gives you, uh, you know what to expect from them. You know, it doesn't have to be career years in terms of point production, but if they're possessing the puck, they're making it tough to play against, if they're exploiting matchups, what have we talked about in years past has been the biggest thing that's kind of doomed this team in previous playoff run, it's the lack of consistent secondary scoring, right? So we've talked about this before. I, 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 I know it's hard to believe that we keep Crazy. on bringing it back up, but uh, it, it's something where I think uh, at the very least Montgomery and the Bruins have a bevy of options when it comes to Coyle, Frederick, you know, Zach, as we've said, all these guys that offer a potential. It's not like there are a bunch of, you know, Joe Schmoes out there, or unproven players. These guys all have talent. They have all, uh, skill sets that should really uh, work for this lineup, especially further down in there. It's just about finding the right pieces that fit and hopefully guys that can just, you know, even if it's 5% getting better from what they were last year, which maybe you get out of Montgomery system, that extra 5% incrementally could make a world of a difference to this team in terms of getting just that added production further down in the lineup. So this is kind of why I didn't want Craig Smith on the first line is that I would love to just kind of let him cook with Coyle to begin the year on that third line and let them, I mean, I know they have chemistry, but let it develop under a new coach. Same with, you know, leaving a guy like Greer down there. Like, like let them build something. Because as you said, it's, it's such a question mark of building that good third line. I feel like every Stanley Cup champ has a terrific third line that we've talked about. We talk about this every postseason. Where is the line mismatch? Like, where can you gain an advantage? And for years, Coyle has made sense as a, as a guy who can lead a line that is a complete mismatch. And for a couple of years now, it's been like, well, it hasn't really happened. And I think that that's, as you said, it's such an important thing. And by the way, a line of Zaka, Coyle, Smith, we've said this all offseason, it is a lot of teams probably second lines. Like that's a very good third line. Um, and by the way, if AJ Greer works on that third line, which at least yeah. from practice on Thursday, like he, he was there. And, and you move him down to the fourth line when Marshan returns and kind of everybody moves down a bit like AJ grew on your fourth line now. So uh, to me, the third line is such a question mark, but I think it's not a question mark in a bad way because there are a lot of candidates for it. You just have to find the right trio. And as happened in 2019, it doesn't have to happen in the first few months. This right. team's success and the regular season is not fully dependent on the third line. You can take a few months to kind of figure out what's the best grouping. But just by like March, you should have an idea of, all right, this is our third line. Feels like, not that he's out of the rotation, but I think Frederick probably won't be getting looks there once Zaka come, uh, once Martian comes back because feels like Zaka makes the most sense for um, that line. Unless Frederick thrives, you know, who knows? Uh, my, my second question uh, has to do on D. Who's the odd man out? Who's the odd man out when Matt Grizzlick returns and Charlie McAvoy returns? Because now you most likely have Strawman added to this mix as well. Um, you know, again, they moved Connor Carrick through waivers down to um, down to Providence. You got most likely Strawman signed, at least it feels like, which given Montgomery's comments and given, you know, his age and experience. Um, so again, who's the odd man out? Is it Strawman, Riley, Zvoral, Clifton, Forbert? 
I mean, it's funny, like Riley's looked terrific in this preseason, had that really nice goal the other night. Yeah. It's like, if that keeps up, like you, you can't keep him out of the lineup. Like I, again, like Grizzlick's probably a better puck mover, but if Riley keeps performing at this level, I mean, you, you just can't move him out of there. Forbert obviously plays a certain role. No one else can really do it. Someone on Twitter though replied to me uh, Wednesday night and said, you know, could Strawman potentially like take Forbert's minutes? And it's hard to compare them because again, Forbert's younger and um, you know, Strawman came in on a PTO. We have yet to see Strawman in the regular season with the Bruins. But um, again, I think there are so many guys who have shots in the lineup and you can't play them all. So I'm very curious to see who the odd man uh, out or odd men out are and what they do with them. Again, do you just keep them on level nine? Like, I mean, do you get Mike Riley to a point where he's producing a bunch and you deal him for what though? So that's the other thing is like, and we talked about this before, like what does Mike Riley get you? Do you really want to be trading for, I mean, you need picks down the road, but do you want to be trading for picks on a team that's supposed to be contending for a cup? I don't know. Interesting conundrum they have over there. Uh, but again, not a terrible problem. Not yes. a horrible, you have a lot of viable, you know, viable top, you know, viable defensemen here. That's not a horrible thing. So uh, anyways, X factors, always fun to talk about X factors. Connor, what is your X factor for this team? Yeah, I, I guess I'm going to go with two, two guys, the X factors, but I, I think when you look at the one. They're really one area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. If you look at just the one area of the roster where, again, you look at the forwards, you have to figure out how that bottom six pans out, but you've got probably the best top six personnel once once healthy this team's had in years. Um, defense, as you said, needed guys to get healthy there, but that's a, a personnel grouping that you can mix and match to kind of make whatever you want of it, right? Like if you if Jim Montgomery wants to go, you know, go wild and have Riley and Gorsley like both in the lineup together and have just this up-tempo crazy you know like uh, offensively minded decor they absolutely can do that um or you can keep forward and strong like you can mix and match that once everyone's back then you have the bodies in place you can do a whole lot with that grouping and you add in the fact they're still keeping that pretty stingy zone defense i think the defense is going to be fine the one oh, thing that yeah. i think that the one thing that i think is going to you know, be the factor that pushes them past other very tough teams in the playoffs is going to be what you're going to get out of your goalies. And it's, you know, whether can Jeremy Swayman take another step forward in his development? He had a strong, uh, you know, rookie season, but can, can he make that next step? Not just let's say that he's going to be a, you know, a Vesna, you know, contender or anything like that. You know, like I don't, I don't think it's, uh, reasonable to expect that, but can he just take another step forward in the same with Omar, who, you know, had his ups and downs, but as a whole was pretty consistent uh, for this team adjusted to, you know, a new market and a new team here and did pretty well, really build up the team during some of the tougher stretches they had last season. So if both those guys together in place for a full season now without the distractions of, you know, Tuka Rask, you know, weighing over them or, or what have you, if they can both perform at a high level and support the already kind of established strengths you have here. Again, that's what it usually comes down to in the playoffs. Every team can win. because every team's really friggin' good. What gets you over the top sometimes is just how your goaltending is doing at that particular juncture of the season. And if both Swain and Elmark are playing at a high level, regardless of who's in net, that might be the one thing that ultimately pushes them past a whole bunch of other very, very good teams in the East. I'm also curious, like how they, cause last year they were even, I mean, they were pretty even. I mean, one led yeah. goals against one led in save percentage. Like 
and it was very close. It was not like it was not far apart. And I'm just wondering, like throughout the season, does one pull away? Like, and 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 by the way, should you be concerned if Swayman is the one who pulls away? Because then Olmark seems kind of not, you know, not to be mean, but like a waste of money almost. And if Olmark's one that pulls away, are you worried that you know Swayman isn't developing? So I think there's a good chance that one could maybe outplay the other. And also in the playoffs, like, do you really want to be playing both? I know that they want to be rested and things like that, but you know, no team in the NHL has truthfully like gone back and forth in the postseason and had it work yet. So I think going into a last dance scenario, I think this coaching staff would probably enjoy having, okay, Swayman's our starter. Omar's our starter. Like, I don't think they want to be going back and forth throughout a series. And again, who knows, you know, again, like during series, they might, they might have to, you know, switch like that happens, but I think consistently switching back and forth probably isn't the, the best recipe for success. But again, we'll see how the season plays out with both of these guys. Uh, my X factor, because I agree, goaltending is a huge X factor. Uh, who you play on D is a huge X factor. Your third and fourth lines, big X factors. But I think the one thing this team does not want to have to do with the deadline is go out and get a top six winger. And I think it really hinges on Jake DeBrusque. Is Jake DeBrusque going to continue to build on his game from last from the second half of last season where he's really good now all signs by the way point to that happening right like full season on the first line with Bergeron and Marshall when he comes back new head coach seems kind of you know revitalized and and all those things has the contract extension but I just think if he doesn't work out there maybe you try Zaka but again I don't know if those are any full time it's not really a full-time thing I mean if you're really going for a cup you need a solid uh, guy up there and DeBrus can do that. Like DeBrusque has proven in his career, he can score a lot of goals. It just comes down to can he be consist- consistent enough to do so? Um, and I think the if this team is going into the deadline and they're like, well, we're gonna have to probably give up a first round pick for a top six winger. Like that's a huge problem. That is not where you want to be. And by the way, and I've said this, I think to you before, they don't see they don't really have a hole right now. Like there's no hole in this lineup where I say, oh, they need to add that at the deadline. Um, like, like, I feel like last year it was top four left shot defenseman year before it was, they need a top six winger. You don't want the top six winger to be a problem again. Right. Um, and I, I, I just think that that's a huge thing. Cause again, that's giving up a first. Whereas right now, I mean, do you foresee an area where they're going to need to bolster at the deadline? I can't really think of one. Yeah. You would feel like it'd be more just added, you know, depth or just a depth. different yeah. piece on. Yeah. A different piece further down the line of like, uh, you know, is it, uh, getting a physical presence on the fourth line or something. I feel like it's something like that where it has to be a compliment. It can't, it shouldn't be at least uh, another Chris one. Chris Kelly like, or right, Rich Peverly. Yeah. It shouldn't be like a guy that's going to, you know, a 40 point guy that you need to shore up your third line or anything like that. And if that's the case, you're in trouble. Cause again, you can't <laughs> keep on, even though the pressure's on, you're trying to win now with however long you have this core still in place it might just be for this year. You get you have to stop, you know, moving first round picks. Like the market's only gonna get crazier and crazier in terms of uh you know the amount of the asking price that teams are going for. Did you hear so, that plane go over? I did not. Oh my god, it is so I feel like it's like buzzing the top of my house. My God, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but my goodness. That I is okay. Maybe the, I just the listeners to make sure were like, that... is Evan in a war zone? Like, I, I did not hear anything. So thankfully, it seems like everything's okay. <laughs> I'm I was very concerned for a moment there. <laughs> I was just a very odd guerrilla marketing campaign for something too. But, um, but no, I, I think that's what it has to be is like an, an, a missing piece, another uh, contributor to build an identity maybe further down the lineup. It shouldn't be a, 
I think we have to trade another first round pick to add to uh, this core. At least that shouldn't be the case. And if so, you're only going to further make it a, a steeper kind of uphill climb when eventually you're building for the future and you have to kind of surround yourself with uh, a new supporting cast. My God, if they go into next draft and they don't have a, a first round pick, I, like what on earth? Um, and I think, and, and again, they, they shouldn't have to deal one. This roster is deep. You have lots of defensemen. Um, you have a, you have a legit top left shot, top right shot. You have two good goalies. You have depth on the, you know, with forwards. You have guys like Zaka who could be in the top six, like you, you have Fabian Lysel in the, in the, in the farm system. So like, shouldn't have to give up a first round pick. Um, Hopefully that they don't end up having to do that. Uh, now the big question. Does this team have realistic cup hopes? I think so. I, I Again, I, we've kind of talked about this before. Are they at the same tier as Colorado or someone like that? I don't think so. But I also think people need to look at this team and realize that it's still a very, very good roster, especially once guys get healthy. Like, again, Top six looks really, really good once everyone's good to go. I think people caught on a little bit watching that game. You saw a lot of very excited uh, Bruins fans on the timeline after the Rangers game. It was like, oh, shit, like this second line could be really good. Like, yeah, it's you've replaced uh, you replaced Eric Halla and add in David Krejci. It tends to help you out quite a bit there. Crazy how that um, works. You look at the added boost that should come from Montgomery and just the natural kind of lift that that provides of having a new voice behind the bench, the systems he has in place, uh, the defense responding, uh, as we said before, the amount of personnel the Bruins have that can kind of augment what you want out of that decor, uh, the expectation of guys like DeBrusque building off of last year, a young goalie like Swayman uh, taking another step forward. Like there's pieces in place that you don't have to, set unrealistic, you know, thresholds or unrealistic expectations in terms of what the supporting cast needs to do around guys to expect this team to be good, right? Like, it's not like, well, they need DeBrus to score 45 goals. It's like, no, but he can score 30, and that'd be a lot better than what it was last year. Like, Swimming doesn't have to win the Vesna, but he can take another step forward and it looked pretty good. Like, I just think when you look at how this team is built, it's the same core in place, but with, I think, more depth around it and more, you know, support around kind of the, the pieces that have driven this contention window for so long. You factor in, we talked about it during uh, Bruins beat, but the fact that the Atlantic is going to be tough, the rest of the East is going to be tough, the whole rest of the NHL is tough, but I think people are also overlooking, I think, just where the Bruins fit in that equation, whether it's you look at Toronto and what their goaltending situation is, which, holy shit, uh, <laughs> Florida with, you know, their defense behind Ekblad, which is rather barren. Um, even Toronto, uh, Tampa Bay, which I think they'll still be in the mix. It's still Tampa. They still got Vasilevsky, still have that core. But again, the talent drain continues there in terms of further down in that lineup. Like, I'm not going to say that the Bruins are like going to go scorch earth on everyone, but also is I don't find it like you see a lot of people be like, this Bruins team is going to be pretty good and they're going to be right in the mix. And people like, you know, pushing back on that thing. It's not a hot take to be like, this Bruins team is going to be pretty good. And again, as we've said time and time again, if you're in the mix, sometimes sometimes it's all you need to go on a deep run. I think this Bruins seems in position, you know, health-wise, you know, pending on health, I guess, to go on a deep run for what, again, could be kind of that last stance with this core. What was the biggest reason David Krejci came back? Or one of the biggest? To win another cup. They believe this team could do it. 
And I mean, you, as you said, you look at the roster and it makes sense. It, it, you have two good goalies. You have a backup plan for Jeremy Swayman. You know, like you have tons of defensemen. You have lots of depth. You know, if they kept all these defensemen, I don't know how you do, do it with the cap, but if they kept even most, if two of them go down in the, in the postseason, you have ones that can step right in and fill, and fill in and really not miss a beat. Up front, same type of thing. So again, the roster is there. You have a new head coach, a new vote. Like I just... Yes, I think that they should they should have cup hopefuls. Like they should be in the mix. I think if they're out in the first round, that is a huge disappointment. Yes. That is a complete miss. Um and again, even, you know, like getting past the second round, like they have what it takes to come out of the Atlantic. We, we've said this. Like top to bottom, they might be the most complete team in the Atlantic. Uh not to say they're the best, but they're the most complete. All those other teams have question marks. The Bruins really don't have it. It's more like, can you just get past the second round? Um, which seems to be the thing. And again, I think Montgomery's a good coach. So like you, you have that going for you too. So cup hopefuls for sure. Lots of, you know, not huge questions. I mean, even the questions that determine Bruins success, even the four that we gave, it's not com- completely hinging on that. You know, like yeah. is the best player still going to be good after double hip surgery? Well, even if he dips a little bit, it's not going to derail the team. So uh, anyways, Lots of expectations, but Connor, what can people look forward to from you over at Boston Sports Journal? Yeah, we're going to continue to, uh, we, we have a whole bunch of preview content sent to roll out in the next couple of days, whether it be, uh, you know, questions surrounding the Bruins, predictions, which are always hysterical to look back on, which I'm sure we yes. will do a couple of times this year. Many times. Uh, you know, reactions from, I think, Media Day will be on Monday. Um, again, I'll be down in Washington, D.C. for the season opener, so We'll have all coverage, boots on the ground uh, for that as well. So uh, please subscribe at bostonsportsjournal.com. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at Connor Ryan underscore 93. Go do all that. That's Connor Ryan, Evan Marinovsky. You poke the bear listeners. Have a great rest of your day. (laughs) 